Welcome to the good life. Uh. Welcome to the good life. The wait is over. Welcome to the good life. And after all the talk, all I gotta say is. Welcome to the good life. You're welcome. You're all welcome. Like we always do with this time. I go for mine. I get to shine. Now throw your hands. Verbally Effective episode 33. Wow. I am your host, your double E, Ina Esco. And I just want to thank you all for listening to the podcast because you could be doing anything in the world right now, but you are here with me. And my guest today is Mr. Devonte Payton. Hey, Devonte. What's up, Ina? How are you? I'm well. How are you? I am wonderful. I really am. Um, I'm really excited that you are here today. You got a lot going on, Devontae. I've been knowing you. How long I've been knowing you? Uh, I mean, we we I think we first started uh, following each other on social media. It started with social media, um, and then we officially met at uh, for TJ's project. Yes, um, with the uh, the Simply Given. Yes, yeah, that's when shout we, out. It was like nice out, to meet TJ. you in person. Yes, yes, because you're very active on social media, yeah, which yeah. is a great thing. Yeah. I'm not as active as I used to be. No, you're back not. Then, back then, I was really active. I kind of engaged it up a more. Bit. Yeah. So you must have been busy. That's why been you busy. eased up. It's been busy. Is that busy what it is? Times. Okay. Yes, it is. Now, Devontae, you're from Memphis, right? Yeah. I know. So yeah, you know, little known Black history fact about Devontae okay. is that I was actually born in Chicago. What? Um, and so most people wouldn't know that, but I moved here when I was uh, six months. So I don't really count that. <laughs> oh Lord, oh Lord! You on some Aretha Franklin yeah, stuff? Exactly. No, she moved away when she was like six. Okay, exactly. okay, six months. Okay. So, so no, I'm, I, I consider myself a Memphis native. Okay, so you moved here at six months, mm-hmm. and um, what part of Memphis are you dwelling um, so, in at this so, time? Oh, at this time, in uh, six months. I, oh, in six months. <laughs> oh, who knows? <laughs> I was probably in Fraser somewhere, somewhere okay. in North Memphis. I don't know. I don't know. We moved okay. around a lot when I was okay. a kid. It wasn't until about uh, third grade when we kind of like was was at a place or a neighborhood where we were there for a long time. Mm-hmm. So you're a product of Shelby County School System, Memphis City School Memphis, System, Legacy Memphis City School. Legacy. So. Okay. <laughs> okay. Where did you graduate? I graduated from East East High School. Okay. And so uh, when school. I went to East, it was seventh through twelfth. That's when it was middle school and high school. Wow. And so I, I went there. Um, I was in the optional program. Okay. And. Um, was able to, you know, graduate, go on to college. With the honors. Yeah, uh, of course. Of yeah, course, of yeah. Course. And you're a University of Memphis graduate. Yeah, I'm a University of Memphis grad. How was your days at U of M? What did you major in? I majored in marketing management. Okay. Um, but, you know, the funny story is that I actually, I wasn't even planning on going to U of M. Why not? Um, uh, what, I was what? I was originally planning on going to Howard. I actually wanted to like get into like radio yeah. and media and stuff. Really? And so uh, that's why I'm excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Um, but I was gonna go to uh, Howard's uh, communication school. Um, but when I was in school, although you know I was a uh, honor student, no one really talked to me about like scholarships and mm-hmm. um, how to get money to go to college. You know, they mm-hmm. always told us, "Hey, you make good grades. Uh, I mean, you get uh, 21 on the ACT. You can right. go wherever you want." Right. Yeah, that might be the case here in. Memphis, not, you know, in yeah. some of these um, higher, um, you know, prestigious colleges. And mm-hmm. so um, I didn't want to take out loans and I didn't want to burden my mom with loans. So I mm-hmm. ended up deciding 
um, to stay here. I ended up enrolling in Memphis at, uh, actually like a week before school got started. Wow. Um, it was, and my plan was to, you know, stay on, uh, stay at home, save mm-hmm. up some money, get my GPA up and, um, and transfer to Howard. But, you know, mm-hmm. life happens. and Life um, really happens, happen. huh? <laughs> you know what? I kind of got a similar story with that. Like you said, um, you know, you probably, you weren't filling out anything for scholarships, stuff like that. That, that kind of happened with me. I moved with my dad and I was going to, um, uh, Raleigh, Egypt, my junior year because we couldn't get on base yet. My dad is retired Army. And then my senior year transferred to Millington where we were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Going through life, I, and I played sports. I was busy with theater. I did so much. But um, I played volleyball, and I was okay. really good at it, like all state and everything. The coach from Lemoyne was trying to recruit me. She came to our house and um, offered a scholarship. Because my dad was like, baby, I'm going to tell you now, I'm not taking no loans out. You're smart enough to get a scholarship. You right. need to get on top of that shit. Exactly. And I was like, okay. Exactly. But thank God everything worked out. But um, University of Memphis, what, what year did you come out? So I came out in 2011. Um, so I graduated from high school in 2006. Okay. Um, but ended up, uh, I, I think uh, one semester I went, I was part-time because I was working full-time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that threw me out. But yeah, graduated in 2011. Okay. And what are some of your fondest memories of being... You know, a Memphis Tiger. Well, you know, the thing is, is that, like, my, my college <laughs> experience wasn't, you know, like everyone. It wasn't everyone, all of that, it was, King? You know, because, you know, I, I, my mom kicked me out, like, a month after I turned 18. So, um, you know, all of my college experience was spent, like, working two jobs. Okay, you was on the grind. <laughs> and and working, working through school. You know, I got mm-hmm. married when I was 20 years old. So, really? like, you know, I was just, like, so much, you know, mm-hmm. about, like, building a life mm-hmm. um, and, like, and making sure that once I graduated, I can continue to hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't wondering what I was going to be doing next. So um, I didn't get the traditional college experience, which is, you know, one of one of the reasons uh, why I originally started uh, doing academic advising with students uh, was I wanted to, like, help shape them to a place where they didn't have to go through the things that I went through and they can mm-hmm. experience being young and mm-hmm. enjoying school and meeting those lifelong friends that, you know, a lot of people talk about. Um, when they uh, when they were in college, my lifelong friends are the ones that I went to uh, middle and high school with right. because I wasn't making I wasn't making too many friends in college. I was too busy working, working on the grind, yeah, like yeah. just school and work, school yeah, and work. Yeah. I had a, uh, I worked at Carmex okay. selling cars. What <laughs> I can see your uh, butt selling a car, slanging them joints. You was making a commission, wasn't it? Yeah, and then I uh, <laughs> I managed the after school tutoring and mentoring program called Peer Power over at um. um Fairly first, and then over at Northside. Okay, so you've always been about the kids yeah. and education. That's where I got my book. That's where I got my book was uh, with Pure Power. I, I was like a high school tutor, um, and then when I uh, ended up staying here, I ain't gonna say when I decided to stay here. When I ended <laughs> up staying here, um, I convinced them to hire me as a college tutor, mm-hmm. um, and then I just you know I continued on with it, um, and you know been been in education ever since. Now, like when you used to tutor. Um, do you think that the kids really like trusted you and your advice? Yeah. So what made Pure Power unique was that you were, you know, leveraging um, students who were close to the age of the students that we were, you know, educating and supporting. Um, oh, and so okay. we could re- reach them in a, in a way that someone much older 
couldn't reach them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for a lot of kids, with me, they saw me as the cool college kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I was dating my wife uh, then, so they knew Alyssa, and they're like, hey, Alyssa, fine. He got, <laughs> he got, he got, he got, he got him a baddie, you know. He got, he got, I think I had a Dodge Magnum at the time. He got a Dodge Magnum. Oh, he was Magnum. doing yeah, exactly. it. He was so, doing you know, Kids like they looked at me and they like, man, I want, I want to get where Devontae is. You know, of course, I'm like, I ain't did nothing. <laughs> they <laughs> just don't know. <laughs> we're working two jobs at Nike at night. You know, yeah, but um, um, me always being transparent with them around my experiences, um, because kids would look at me and not realize one that I grew up in a single parent home, that I grew up in the hood, that you know was around drugs, violence, and stuff like mm-hmm. that, um, and so. What I always wanted to let them know is that, like, you need to learn from my experiences. And so I was always transparent because I I believe in uh, you don't have to go through it in order to learn from it. That's true. You know, so kids, you know, they respected that. And um, I I think a lot of them listen to me. I'm actually, I keep in touch with with a bunch of the kids, Mm -hmm. thanks to social media, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, Thanks to social um, media. That I I used to work with in in the tutoring program. Mm -hmm. Now, I I notice on uh, social media, you guys do um, the morning huddle. Yeah, the men's morning huddle. How did that all come about? (laughs) So, a good friend of mine, Cedric Brooks, you know, Mm -hmm. said, um, he hit me up one day, um, and this was what probably about three years ago. And he was like, "Hey man, um, I saw this cool thing uh, that they were doing in Indianapolis, where these guys like went to the schools and greeted these kids, welcomed them back on the first day of school." And you know, at the time I was working at Kip, he was like, "You know, do you think uh, that's something that we can do at one of the Kip schools?" So I was like, "Okay, cool." You know, I reached out to one of the principals. Uh, actually, I reached out to a couple principals, and one of them bid on it, and then we uh, we did it. Um, it was super cool. They asked us to uh, do it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we did it like in November. So it was after mm-hmm. uh, Thanksgiving break. And then um, we did it again um, after winter break. And when we did it after winter break, we had got like an influx. Like we had did a lot more promoting. Cause mm-hmm. the last time we, we didn't really promote it. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a lot of promoting and, and getting people involved on social media. So it was a big turnout. Um, and then all of a sudden we started getting all these requests. Can y'all come to my school? Can <laughs> oh. we come to this school? And so... Um, three years later now, like we got, we got oh, a full calendar been three already. Years? Yeah, it, wow. it's, been, it's been three years, and we already got a full calendar mm-hmm. um, for this school year um, mm-hmm. and a wait list um, because the way that we try to um, arrange it is like the whole idea is that you're giving back, but also we're understanding that you have very limited time. That's always the issue with a lot of people. It's like I want to give back or I want to support That's the kids, true. but I really don't have time to be a full fledged mentor or go and read, you know, et cetera. So we was like, no, this is thirty minutes, maybe an hour out of your day, um, and we only do it once a month. And so we've been very uh, intentional around keeping it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've also been very supportive of other people who are now doing this um, across the city because. Of course, the more the merrier, and then we we just know that uh, we don't have the capacity to reach all of the schools, yeah. um, and, and all of the students deserve something like this. So, how how do you think that you guys are impacting the students um, when the, you do the morning huddle? I, they know, look, I, they just be smiling. Yeah, they, they, I think you know the funny thing is, I think the 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 teachers and the staff and the <laughs> parents get more of a kick out of it mm-hmm. than than the kids. The kids, you know, initially they're always 
kind of hesitant. They're like, what's going on? Like, Especially if they're why like, why are the they standing there? You got, you got the elementary <laughs> kids who are like, uh, stranger danger. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you got the middle school kids who try to act like they, you know, they so cool. They mm-hmm. can't do it. But eventually, like the kids get super excited and super pumped um, because we're always super excited and mm-hmm. super pumped. It's like seven o'clock in the morning. But guys are like literally yelling, mm-hmm. you know, get and you can't help but to get energized by that. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, I think the kids uh, enjoy it. Yeah, they look like they enjoy yeah. it. Now, I know you're all about education advocacy, and you used to work at KIPP. You mentioned yep. that. Yep. And Say then Kip. you kind of, like, had a little career change. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. Tell me about that. You started working for Ronald McZone. Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, I, I worked at KIPP ever since I um, got out of college. So I started out as an academic advisor, um, then um, helping to get our Kip Through College Department um, off and running, um, transitioning to student recruitment, was director of student recruitment, then eventually uh, director of external affairs. And so was on kind of that trajectory of basically mm-hmm. becoming the face of Kip Memphis here, um, managing all of uh, marketing, branding, communications, and, and in some cases fundraising. Uh, we ended up having a leadership change, um, and so when new leadership came in, they kind of did a reorg mm-hmm. um, and moved a lot of resources from their operations, that marketing side, back into the academic side, which mm-hmm. you know um, isn't necessarily a, you know a bad thing. It was a bad thing in terms of me. You know, mm-hmm. I no longer had a job, wow. um, but um, it was uh, cool because you know the support was going back to um, teachers, instruction. Um, et cetera. So, you know, it was it was cool. And so when I left there um, and I had the opportunity to stay, um, they offered me another job, um, but it just it wasn't exactly what I was wanting to do. I had got excited about, the, you know, being in marketing, which is what <laughs> I had my degree in. And um, so I, I was like, all right, you know, I want I want to continue doing this marketing communications thing. Um, and I was like, all right. One of the things that I'm missing from, and yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be frank and honest with you. you Please know, do. When, 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 when I was leaving, you know, I, you know, I, I had, I kind of had the big head, you know. Oh, you had the big head. I was like, oh man, once I let people know I'm, I'm on the free agency, you know, <laughs> man, I'm gonna have office out the, out the wham. Was it like know? that? No, it was not it's like that. Exactly what you think it is, right? <laughs> it was not like that. <laughs> what going, was it like? Going through unemployment was tough. I think I you know, know I technically, technically didn't have a full time job for five months. So I went through five months, um, but during that time I had started doing consulting and like, you know, doing little side jobs, you know, just to bring in money. Um, But I also, you know, I'll be honest with you, I was still being a little picky Mm -hmm. about what I wanted to do because one thing you know about me, you know, is that I'm a brand ambassador Mm -hmm. and I I promote whatever I'm a part of. Mm -hmm. And so I was being very, um, you know, picky about who I was going to tie myself to. Right. And so... When I looked at my resume and I realized that I was missing a corporate corporate component, like mm-hmm. I, I had done a lot of nonprofit education, a lot mm-hmm. of volunteering, et cetera, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't have any corporate experience, which mm-hmm. um, can be a gap. And I, so I, I sat and wondered, you know, where, where can I go to get this marketing <laughs> experience? And, you know, um, a friend of mine um, hit me up and told me about a position they had with McDonald's. And at first I was like, uh, I ain't, trying, I ain't trying to work at no fast food place, you know, but out of respect for her, I, you know, I, I, I at least, you know, looked into mm-hmm. it. And, and the more I learned about McDonald's Corporation as a uh, company, 
Um, I was impressed by what they were doing and uh, and the changes that they were making. Um, but more importantly, I was like, if I'm gonna get corporate marketing experience, who better to get it from than one of the most recognizable brands uh, oh, wow. in the world? Yes. Um, and so that's how I ended up at McDonald's. Yeah, um, it looked like you enjoyed that role I did. too. I did. I enjoyed it a lot. I worked with. Um, I, yeah, I went to the uh, worldwide <laughs> conference. Um, I worked closely with um, um, the owner operators on their grand openings and grand reopenings. And so um, that was really cool on like trying to, you know, help them to see how to get more engaged with the community when they're reopening these stores, introducing mm-hmm. the kiosk and the yeah. drive through and the yeah, apps and stuff like it. that. Um, and I got really close with the uh, VP of our region um, because at the worldwide conference, I was basically. Uh, I was his, what they call a handler, mm. uh, or what I call Funsworth Bentley. <laughs> you had to take him around <laughs> yeah, and assist. Make, make, make sure he got to Ain't his meetings when that? people were talking to him a little too long. I had to kind of, you know, interrupt yeah, and say, oh, I got I to gotta get him over here. <laughs> um, and so it was really cool, though, to just be around someone who had been, he had worked, been working at McDonald's for 36 years. Um, he had been, he had opened up McDonald's in South Africa and like mm. he had been all over. So it was cool for me to just get a chance to meet all of the people that he knew right. um, and see how as a as a senior level executive, how he moved and interacted with folks. And what I appreciated about him is that um, he was he was the same person with everyone. Mm-hmm. Very approachable, laughing, talking. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't the issue wasn't that people were talking to him too long. The issue was that he was talking too long oh, he to was people. Running that I had to I had to shut him up and be like, I mm. I I dare the irony of it all. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I mean, like you said, he moved differently. How did he move? Like a person of that caliber, VP of the region, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. So, did you notice anything about him that was different? Um, he was very personable, and he made everyone feel and understood that he appreciated their time. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the one of the things that every person that came to us and talked to us, because almost all of these people were people who either worked up under him or worked closely with him, so he helped develop them. And that's mm-hmm. what they would always talk about is, like, how um, he helped them so much. And, of course, these are mostly African-American folks, too. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they were just saying, like, as as an African-American, as a black person, to have someone like him pouring into them, leading them, showing them how to um, you know, be the, the professionals that they are. It was it was really cool, and so I appreciated that. Um, and it it was a reminder that I was working up under um, the right people. Right. Yeah. And um, you mentioned that you worked with a lot of owner operators, mm-hmm. uh, people reopening stores. Were there some African Americans? Yeah. In yeah, there a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah there was say? a couple. So I um, I got a chance to. Uh, me, like I said, I met a lady who um, who uh, was was on operator for three McDonald's in in South Africa. Um, I got a chance to. I don't know if you saw um, uh, in the media there uh, uh, the young lady uh, who's like the youngest uh, McDonald's owner operator. Um, I think I did Jay, see a story Jay, about Jay that. Collin. Um, and so I got a chance to uh, meet her, um, actually worked closely with her dad because I worked with the leadership council and her dad is on the leadership council. Um, and I uh, also met um, um, Tom Joyner's uh, niece. She's uh, an owner-operator? She's an owner-operator. So Tom oh, Joyner's wow. brother um, uh, owned a bunch of different uh, McDonald's in Jackson, uh, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his wife is an owner-operator. His daughter is, uh, is one. Um, and then his other daughter is, is going through. Uh, the second gen program uh, to become an owner operator. So yeah, it's quite okay. a few, quite a few uh, uh, African American owners. Uh, we got a couple here 
um, in Memphis as well. The Bird Brothers, um, our owner mm-hmm. operator. So um, yeah, it, it, it was cool uh, mm-hmm. to see again, you know, mm-hmm. um, our people uh, and 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 not just uh, ownership roles, but also leadership roles within the uh, within the company as well. Oh, wow! Like for someone that is looking to invest their money into a franchise, would you suggest McDonald's? Oh, yeah. I, I, <laughs> look, I mean, look, like, look, I wish I had me some money exactly. to do Exactly. I, I, I wish I had worked at McDonald's when I was 16 and went through that I whole did. little program. And, you know, I you know, did. who knows, by, by 25, mm-hmm. you know, I might be owning a uh, – uh, a McDonald's because you know it's 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 some good money. I can't it I can't is. I can't I can't you know I can't give out their uh their numbers you and stuff you, like you that. Can, you not there no more, tell But you can make a lot of money. I uh, know, um, right? As an owner operator. But I think like as a society, um, and for specifically African Americans, we are more aware now. Yeah. We are being smarter with our decisions, yeah. with investments, with Absolutely. money, yeah. and things of that nature. So. Um, like I said, if I had some money like mm-hmm. that, I yeah, probably. Exactly. It's, probably but it's, 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 it's so much harder than it was back, probably even when when you were um, um, working at McDonald's because yeah. they're they're very strict now who they um, approve to be an owner operator and who they allow to continue to open up restaurants mm. because um, you know what a lot of people don't realize about it is like. They, they they have twenty year leases with with these um, owner operators. That's a long that's a long, lease. Exactly, that's a long time. What? And so you know, Dang. you know, if somebody they got to do, it's easier to tell somebody no. Yeah. Than it is to get them out. Yeah. Right. And so they're very um, strict on you know you got to go through this program, you got to work at the restaurants, you got to show. So it, it's not even about you just having the money to be able to do mm. it. You gotta you oh, gotta show deep. that you actually know how to uh, run. Um, a McDonald's um, uh, company, and they and they typically only approve people um, who that will be their full time mm-hmm. um, job and focus. And that's universal. Mm-hmm. That's how McDonald's do it. Yeah, uh, for the most part, uh, mm-hmm. in the U.S., um, uh, globally, overseas, and stuff, it's a it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think over there, and you know, I'm, I I was only there like nine months, so I, I'm not <laughs> I'm, I'm not the expert at it. But I think overseas is that they have groups. Mm-hmm. Um, that that manage them. They're like managing partners mm-hmm. um, overseas. Wow, what an experience! Oh, it was, it was had. great. Best uh, best eight nine month investment I think eight. I could have ever made in life. So Ugh. I'm very appreciative of it. I you know I I, I wasn't excited about leaving, but uh-huh. you know I was excited that I was in a much better position or place um, professionally mm-hmm. than I um, than I was going into it. And you got what you wanted. You checked that corporate box, uh, right? Yep, absolutely. And, made, and look, made some connections. Look, you know, made some good connections. And, and made a little money doing it, too. Now, <laughs> I remember hanging out downtown. I was with Sue. You know, we just hanging out. Uh, what was the name of the place? Silly Goose. It's the Silly Goose. <laughs> and, I, and I'm headed to uh, the inside of the building. And... Uh, Devontae. Yeah, you see me over there in the cut in the little corner. In the cut. I'm like, what are you doing here? Hey. Got my feet kicked up. (laughs) So we started talking about the podcast and you had a big ass announcement that day. I I was like, what? 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 Oh, yeah. The podcast would be perfect for this. So I want you to share our conversation and your big announcement. Yeah. So um, that's when I was, uh, I think, um, 
I had told it you. It was, was very le- preliminary. Yeah, that I, I, I was leaving McDonald's and because um, I, I was like, "What? Yeah, what? Exactly. How can you leave? You just was with Mary J. Blige. What? <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, that I was leaving and I was going to be transitioning. Um, and I told you around the time I said, you know, and when I'm when I'm uh, wherever I go, I want to you know come on the podcast and share mm-hmm. that information uh, with you, your uh, viewers, and I want pe- people to be able to tune in. So um, <laughs> funny thing is that like you know, again. Unemployment, like it doesn't happen, you know, you don't just find right. a job like this. It takes time. And I think when we me when me and you talked, that was probably July, mm-hmm. um, late June, early July. And so um I just recently signed uh my contract for my new job. Uh, hey. so uh last, what last week. So I've technically been unemployed hey. for about two weeks. Wow, <laughs> and like, you know what's funny damn. about that is people see me all the time that you know, 'cause I told I told everyone I was leaving McDonald's, but I never said one that I had another job mm-hmm. or where I was going, and so people would be like, you know, hey, um, you know, congratulations on a new gig. You know what you're doing? I'm like, yeah, I'm uh, I'm in the ministry of Tommy, <laughs> and they like ministry of Tommy. I'm like, yeah, MOT. You know, like Tommy Strong. Oh, he ain't got my. no job, man. Oh my god. <laughs> and so it, it it would always be funny to like see people's reactions. So shout out to MOT too. Uh, yeah. Got a couple. Like got a you couple, got a couple Devante? MOT folks. Yeah, because um, people assume things all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I was talking to my wife about that. She was like, everybody just, you know, they they would assume that, you know, mm-hmm. you already got all of those things lined up. I was like, yeah, normally I would, yeah. you know, but I, again, I was being right. very uh, also strategic. And I think the thing now that I've learned is that it's OK to tell people no. And like people try to make you feel bad about, they you try. know. Especially like us being like millennials uh, whatnot. The first thing is always, you know, because the, the issue that I've always kind of run into is like the salary piece. Like mm-hmm. I've been working mm-hmm. a long time. I've been in education a long time. I've been um, in the community doing work a long time. Yes, I'm only 29, but I've been putting in work since mm-hmm. I was 20. So I'm like over 10 years in all of this stuff. And so my my piece would always be don't judge me by my age judge me look at my resume look at my work look check my references right. um and don't compare me to what everybody else is doing compare me to what that position um entails and and, and what it qualifies for and so that's that's been kind of like the struggle of like i just won't take anything right just mm-hmm. because you 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 offer right. it like when I'm when I'm interviewing for a job, I'm interviewing y'all too, mm-hmm. um, and so that was a uh, that was a difference. And so, but yeah, I just signed my contract, so I'm excited you, to announce uh, um, that I will be coming back into education. Um, I will be uh, working over at Sheba County Schools Charter School Office um, as an advisor, a school development advisor mm-hmm. um, to charter schools. And so, essentially, what I'll be doing over there is managing all of the. Um, um, the the new school processes uh, or applications. So when charter schools and we just had a bunch um, that were approved, um, but when people apply to open up charter schools, I'll be managing that entire process, the applications, getting community feedback, and then making recommendations to the board on who they should approve and who they shouldn't approve. Will you be the only person in this role? Or are there multiple people that do that? Yeah, so there are multiple people in the department, okay. um, but I'll be the person managing that piece. So within the charter school office, you got the director, um, and you got people that are on the school, the school and uh, quality. Uh, academic side so like they do more of the um for the current schools they looking at they're looking at test scores they're looking at the quality of the teachers that they're bringing in they're you know assessing them on my side it's more so of like doing research and finding out best practices 
and making recommendations on who we can, you know, partner with mm-hmm. moving forward to open up um, new schools, mm-hmm. um, et cetera. So I know I know quite a few people that have tried to open yeah. a school and, and it did not. <laughs> so <Sorry. laughs> what would be some of the reasons someone would get denied from opening their charter school um if they want if the application isn't completely filled out and that's a um, that's it, a common that's, one that's a thing that's a thing that's you, a, you you would be what? surprised you know okay. i haven't gone through the entire process yet my first day is uh <laughs> tuesday <laughs> but okay. i um i was in a program uh, uh called community lunch with the tennessee charter school center um and we did um um, what I will be doing um, as a job now, we did that with that uh, program, and we assessed a um, um, a school or uh, that was wanting to open up here in Memphis, and we had to look at things like what what was their board going to be like, um, what was their um, academic quality at their current schools that they were at, and whether they were you know performing was teacher quality, um, and then what's the community buy-in? Have they been engaging people in the community, and have they been talking to people about opening up a school? And, you know, why do they feel that? And so um, when I know when I look at, when I will be looking at applications, and what I did then is I looked at all of those pieces, and um, and they'll get graded on that. You know, what's, what does that board look like, and, and who does it consist of? What are the bylaws? Um, what, you know, what are, what are they going to be doing to push academics, and how are they going to um, judge their um or evaluate, I'm um, sorry, uh, evaluate their teachers, their uh, their staff, um, what is their community engagement uh, piece is going to uh, look like, and then what's the rigor? Mm-hmm. Um, how, how challenging will the work be? Mm-hmm. And, you know, more importantly, is this what that neighborhood needs, mm-hmm. you know? Now, when I think about it like charter schools, I think of, you know, maybe like a smaller school that's like focused on, this particular curriculum, uh, I guess, more hands-on than your Memphis City schools. Am I thinking right? Mm, um, not, not saying that they're not, yeah. but I always heard that a charter school is a better school. Is that, am I thinking right? Well, or? you know, one of the things I would always tell people, especially when I did student recruitment for KIPP, is that, you know, there are some good uh, traditional public schools mm-hmm. and there are some bad traditional public schools. There are some mm-hmm. good charter schools there are some bad charter oh. schools none of the schools are created equally right. um and so um to you know to say that charter schools are absolutely better than public uh traditional public schools because charter schools are public schools um you know would be a, doing a disservice to both um sets of schools because there are some traditional public schools there are some scs schools that are operating much much better um, than some of our current charter schools. And mm. then there's, you know, a few uh, mm-hmm. of our charter schools that are operating um, a lot um, higher than our uh, traditional public schools. So what's the big difference between the two? So charter schools are uh, typically um, managed. They're, they're, they're authorized through the district. Um, mm-hmm. So they have to have an authorizer, and usually uh, their LEA is, uh, so ours is uh, uh, Shelby County Schools. And mm-hmm. then you also have the Achievement School District and then you have the state, um, the state uh, education board as well. And so, typically, uh, you have the authorizer, but then there's a board that manages um, those charter schools, like they hire an executive director or a school leader. And then, usually, those schools have a little bit more autonomy in terms of um, managing their uh, curriculum. Um, their staff. The um, charter school does. Yeah, the, the, the charter school does. Okay. And so that's kind of really the biggest difference mm-hmm. is the, the autonomy um, to be um, creative um, and a little bit um, innovative um, versus like having that um, 
top-down approach and it's just strictly, you know, whatever our district or whatever our, you know, this curriculum is, that's what we're going to focus on. So they don't necessarily have to do like those evaluations <laughs> I hear about often with the city schools. Oh you know no, they yeah, they still they still have to they still have to follow the yeah. They they have to follow the same laws okay. um that uh traditional public schools um follow. They have to, you know, do the tests and everything. It's just the day to day looks different. Um because like I said, those principals can be um or school leaders can be a little bit more uh flexible in their uh, curriculum and their learning. Mm-hmm. Um but I also think that, you know, the the, the district is shifting um a little bit towards that too. I was at a uh at an event last night um, around school-based budgeting. Um, And that school-based budgeting, um, it allows principals to have more autonomy around how they manage their budget and allocate different funding based Mm -hmm. on what the school needs Mm -hmm. um, versus just what the um, what the district says that they should be allocating funds for, and that's something that I I saw first um, at a charter school, mm-hmm. um, and so like that's the good thing about you know charter schools is, um, in in some cases the the good ones uh, mm-hmm. is that they force a, a, us to get better, and so you know competition is um, good. It's comp- healthy. Yeah, it's healthy. It's I healthy. Like I think, um, but I think the most important thing is like focusing in on improving schools. Um, and so I would always push people when they say, you know, charter schools, they're uh, sucking money away from our uh, public schools. Uh, again, they're both public schools. <laughs> um, and they're, um, and, I, and the push would be like in, in a lot of cases, in most cases, um, what was happening is schools were being closed in neighborhoods. And then someone uh, wanted to open up a charter school in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So I would always be supportive of that because I believe in neighborhood schools. Mm-hmm. I believe neighborhoods should have high quality schools. So rather than focus on, um, you know, um, whether it's a charter or a, a traditional school, whatever school it is in there, how about we focus on giving them the resources, giving them the support to make sure that kids don't necessarily have to leave outside of their neighborhood mm-hmm. in order to get a, a high quality education. And that's kind of near and dear to me because I was that kid who was bused away from my neighborhood mm. to go to a higher uh, quality school um, and that exposure allowed me to be the person that I am today. If I was forced to go to um, my neighborhood school, I probably wouldn't be as successful. Um, and that's, that's, that's sad, right? Yeah. It shouldn't be the case. And so um, I'm all about neighborhood schools and us putting the resources because everybody doesn't have the opportunity um, to, to go outside of the neighborhood. Wow. Now, when I think about it, a lot of people are applying to have these charter schools. Is there like a cap on how many people can open up a charter school? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I was just uh, I was I was just talking with a friend of mine, and uh, we were talking about that. No, there isn't there isn't a law right now on um, how many charter schools um, can be open uh, within a district or even within a neighborhood. Hmm. And so, you know, there might be something that you know, if people are, um, you know. If they're passionate about that, um, that's something that they can go to the school board um, uh, about, and the school board can then advocate to um, to the state on putting a cap on how many schools can be open or how many uh, can be in a pro- proximity of another school, et cetera. But right now, there is no uh, um, there is no cap on that. Interesting, interesting. Well, I know you're going to do a wonderful job yeah, in your new excited. role. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know you're excited. You say you start Tuesday? I start Tuesday, so Tuesday. day after Labor Day. 
Wow. And then right after this drop, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, good luck to you, Devontae, on your new role. And, you know, when I look at your snaps and your Insta stories, <laughs> you're always downtown. You live downtown, correct? Yep, I live downtown. And you look like you be in some exclusive type uh, scene. Yeah. And I'm like, where is Devontae at? He may post the location. He may (laughs) not. So how do you enjoy living downtown Memphis? Oh, I love it. Even with a family, you know, living in that downtown life. It's funny because I I moved downtown in 2012, and that's when it was just me and my wife. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, if you think about my timeline that was a year after I graduated from college that's when we started our careers and so so we you know we was making a little money and you know Mm -hmm. my wife is the one who actually you know pushed for us to move downtown I don't know and so um you know and it was it it was a great decision Um, once we moved downtown it was like we were living in a different city Mm. um, because we were now being exposed to so many other things that were going on that were happening um, in the city, and that's what I enjoy about being downtown is that like you always kind of know what's going on now. Now, since I'm more even more active in the community because I wasn't active then um, when I first moved down there, um, even, I know about more things that are going on just naturally. Um, but by us moving downtown, it's like I was kind of forced uh, mm-hmm. to uh, know about <laughs> everything that was going on, and so I I was on the scene. You know, mm-hmm. I was out meeting people, networking. Um, great networking. And I used to tell my wife, you know, she'd be like, you know, you always, you're going out and stuff. I'm like, man, I'm working. <laughs> I'm working. <laughs> I know, right? And so, uh, no, I, I enjoy it. Um, but then once we started having kids, we had to, you know, make some adjustments. So uh, we, um, we're we in Harbortown now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we're not downtown, downtown, mm-hmm. uh, which there is a difference. There's a difference between like living downtown and downtown. living around downtown. <laughs> you live downtown, you walk everywhere, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about, you know, parking, and you just, you know, you're, you're often engaged, uh, whereas if you don't live downtown, you just kind of like, all right, do I want to deal with this park, and do I really want to go to that? Right. Do I want to, uh, you know, and so it, it is a little bit of a difference, but uh, we've been enjoying it. We haven't wanted to leave, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, as our family has grown, like, mm-hmm. you know, we got we to gotta start making some decisions because, yeah. um, you know, is, 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 we How do make the kids decisions. enjoy it? Like, the, is there plenty of things for them to do? Yeah, well, we have to be creative, um, obviously. Um, but we we take them to parks and stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. My son, he loves to ride the trolley. Mm-hmm. Um, so we go downtown often and walk up and down Main Street, ride mm-hmm. the trolley. He loves to eat like I love to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, that's usually me and um, his bonding time. And he um, got some hoop skills. Oh, yeah, you know. He's this, 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 he this next big thing. You know. <laughs> Little known fact about him. Him, he was actually born on draft day 2013 really? yeah. so you know we already got the, we already handled that ball very well yeah 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 so we already got the narrative you know i was i was born for this i see <laughs> i see i see that is great and you know it's so much development going on yeah. in the city of memphis especially downtown and i actually just saw an article earlier uh today about I'm comparing Memphis to being like the next Austin, Texas. Oh, like okay, it's supposed yeah, to be like yeah. some rapid growth. Yeah. I and um that. my most recent podcast guest for episode thirty two, Rob Hunter Jr. with Robusto by Havana Mix. <laughs> he was talking about all the development last week and mm-hmm. you know, they're downtown with their business. Yeah. 
So it's very interesting to me with you living downtown. Do you see all of this development going on? Does it directly affect you Yeah. right now? You know, when I moved downtown in 2012, again, like downtown was on the come up um, and it was, you know, still hustle and bustle. But like right now, it's at a completely different level because there's so much investment now. Um, and even I saw the article as well um, that you mentioned in, in, in the, I guess, the four places that they um, talked about. None of those places were active when I first moved downtown. And so I've seen the development of all of them. And, I, you know, for it to be downtown and, like, bringing in that energy downtown, I think it's good. But then I also look at it and I go, like, man, I, I really wish this type of stuff could happen you know, in some of these other neighborhoods that actually mm. need these resources and right. need uh, millions of dollars to be poured into them mm -hmm. um, and what that uh, could look like. And so, you know, when I read the article, it was like, I kind of, I kind of like <laughs> turn my nose up at it, you know, and it's, it's crazy because I live downtown and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm enjoying all of those features and all of those places mm -hmm. just by me living down here or down there. Um, but at the same time, like this is this is actually not what the growth is because we're not really addressing. Uh, you're talking about Memphis being the next mm -hmm. Austin or Memphis on the rise. And what about well, poverty? We're we not rising unless we're addressing poverty <laughs> um, and uh, these under resourced um, communities and giving people, you know, living livable wages. And right. um, that's the only way we're going to rise, not mm -hmm. because we're putting up buildings, you know, that mm -hmm. go up in the sky. Right. Um, so. And it seems like the push for all of this development and building is to attract people to the city. Yeah. But I mean, when people find out the real truth about the city, are they going to want to come? You know what I'm saying? I mean, we do have like your FedExes, service mm -hmm. masters, et cetera, et cetera. But we need to address like some of the critical right. issues. And that's, that's one of the issues that people have with Austin. Because um, yeah. Austin did that exact same thing. They were all about attracting people to the city, which then, you know, kind of forced the natives and the other people mm -hmm. out um, and made it, you know, less opportune for them. Um, and so I definitely see a lot of that happening mm -hmm. um, in Memphis right now. Um, but I also see a lot of people really strategically and intentionally fighting um, to invest more um, in the people of Memphis. But there is so much more that we can do because, you know, I'll be honest, when I one of the reasons why you know, I was unemployed for so long was because I was trying my best to stay here in Memphis, um, but I wasn't getting as many hits here you as I everywhere was, else. Um, you know, Isn't out of town. Exactly. Like I was getting hits from Dallas and yeah. um, Nashville and even Jackson, Bigger Mississippi, city. you know, but I'm yeah. like, uh, you know, I'm trying. I, I, I want to be a part of um, Memphis rising for real, for real. And right. I want to. Um, be a uh, be an example of someone who's who was able to stay um, mm -hmm. and be successful and then gave back and help um, you know push the city forward but yeah we got we got so much um, that needs to be done though because mm -hmm. again if we're not if we're not addressing the fact that um, people not aren't aren't making enough money to live um, that um, the uh, the contracts and the uh, businesses go to like even if you looked in in that article, um, they, they, it's, it was the same developer every time. Luna Ricks, Luna Ricks, the Luna Ricks, and I, and I don't know them personally or anything about, but it was like they got a nice little deal it, going exactly. with Memphis. And it's they? like you know how are these the same folks uh, getting the same uh, all these contracts? And you know where where are the uh, where are the African Americans? There wasn't a, a single African American uh, mm -hmm. person quoted. Um, in that story and, mm -hmm. and no mention of any African-American businesses that are um, 
that are are, are are thriving or getting anything from all this development yeah. uh, in a city that's, you know, majority African-American. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. We got a lot of work to do, bottom line. We got yeah. a lot of work to do. Um, it's going to be interesting to see the next even two years on development for Memphis. But um, as I see you walk up and down your precious downtown <laughs> Memphis, I will see you frequently sitting at a bar <laughs> drinking maybe a beer of your choice yeah. or or some uh, or you know maybe a little Kanye yeah. too but <laughs> i heard you have fashion. like a craft beer obsession like yeah. what's up with that yeah so i um when I first moved to town, I did, when I hung out, I would, you know, drink uh, the cocktails and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I quickly found out that that can be very expensive, hey, especially yeah. if you're downtown. Yeah, yes. um, so I had to start, you know, I had to start trying different things. And so <laughs> I was like, you know, beer isn't as, as expensive. Um, and so I started um, drinking different beers. Um, and then that, that's how I learned about uh, craft beer. Um, and the local uh, beers that are made here in Memphis. Um, and I just became obsessed with it. And I thought it was the coolest thing that um, I was drinking something that was, you know, made here in Memphis. And, you know, we always talk about how we got the best water in the mm-hmm. world. You know, well, you know, <laughs> I'm drinking a beer that's made by the best water Is in the really world. Is it really good? Oh, yeah, it's really good. And so... Um, the thing that I like about the different craft beers is, is it has forced me to learn more about beer, beer taste, and what I like in my beer. Um, like, you know, you got you got Pilsners, you got Ales, you got Stouts, you got mm-hmm. um, IPAs, which is Indian Pale Ales. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, I, I started finding it as a challenge to say, you know, how many how many different types of beers can I try and learn about? Um, and so um, that's that's what I do now. So people see me almost <laughs> always. They know that um, um, I'm gonna have a beer in hand. If I, I frequent a lot of the uh, same bars, and so a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of the bartenders uh, tend to know me. They already know what type of beer to get me, or sometimes they know I switch it up. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoy me a nice cold brew. Right. What are your <laughs> top three favorite beers? Um, I'm big fan of the uh, Ghost River uh, Golden Ale and the uh, the Red. Um, I love the um, the the Wiseacre. Got to get up to get down. Mm, uh, so what that, that sounds is, interesting. It's a coffee stout, um, oh. and so it uh, has a coffee taste to it. Um, mm, but it's, it's it's not too overwhelming. Yeah, so okay. that's the thing. So it's just like it gets you up and right. to get Can't you get down. You uh, and so yeah. even, even people who don't really like beer enjoy um the uh the wiseacre um then you got the high cotton so i love the uh the beer to guard that they have um um, and the scottish ale um and then you got uh you got memphis made and i love their fireside amber so i'm an amber ale type of guy Mm -hmm. um but occasionally i'll go and try um an ipa um because those ipas have a little bit of a higher alcohol and what does the ipa stand for indian pale ale and what does that mean, Indian pale? It's just this how it's made. So okay. like it comes from, um, um, you know, what, how they made it in India, et cetera. Wow. Um, and so one of the things that I'm actually planning on doing is I'm working with uh, two other guys um, is we're, we're going to start doing a, a blog slash vlog um, on different uh, craft beers because uh, not a lot of us African-Americans mm-hmm. are, are, are drinking craft beer or mm-hmm. willing to try. You know, we, we right. tend to, you know, we, we stick to our Bud, Bud Lights, Lights, Coronas, and mm-hmm. Heineken's and, you know, 
uh, of the world. And so uh, what we want to do is kind of give people a different alternative, first by educating them on the different types of beers, where if you like um, if you like a Bud Light, you, which is a Pilsner, then you might like this uh, Tiny Bum, and guess what? It's made here in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, one, you know, educating people on the different types of beers. Two, um, getting them to try the different beers. And then, like, a, a long-term goal of mine is to eventually open up my own brew spot where people well, can come awesome. and um, uh, try, try the different beers out. And you know what? With you starting your vlog and everything, that would be very instrumental in our second Memphis Chicken and Beer Festival. You know, we just had it, and it was so nice. Yeah. I had drank so many different types of beers. See? And I'm really like a Heineken kind of gal, <laughs> Dozeckis, uh-huh. you know, that type of taste. But I tasted quite a few that I liked, and it was just so much of it. But, yeah. I mean, it was a really cool event, but you could, like, do some stuff leading up to the next right. one or next year. Yeah, so that's the plan. We've been, we've been working. Um, uh, shout out to uh, Rod and Jermaine. Uh, we've been working. We've been going around, um, doing all of the tours. We've been, you know, taste testing, and so, mm-hmm. um, like I said, we'll ease into it and kind of just, you know, start just kind of educating people first, mm-hmm. um, and then we'll probably end up start doing some um, some events uh, where we can invite people out and and you know, you know, they can they can do what you see me do uh, <laughs> on, on Snap and Instagram. Yeah, you be doing it on Snap. <laughs> wow, I mean, it's just so interesting. Uh, you telling me you know, about the things that you like, your career changes. And right now we got so much going on in the world, um, especially on the political side. And I know you were Jamal Whitlow's campaign manager. Um, uh, He was running for Shelby Shelby County County Clerk. And at this point in the game, I mean, we have a black man, Andrew Gillum, winning the Democratic seat for the primary for governor in Florida. It's crazy because you're president, 45 put out an ugly tweet after the guy won. Yeah. You know, this is like the first time a black man has been the front runner yeah. for a seat in Florida. In Florida right. You exactly. know, of all yeah. racist states. <laughs> I'm not going to say y'all are. Y'all know what I'm talking about as far as politics go. Yeah. You know, yeah. they like to run it in Florida. So what's so interesting is, one, the tweet that Donald Trump put out um, just really being very negative towards um, Mr. Gillum's run for governor. Yeah, but he bossed up on him, though. He bossed. He said, you better at me. <laughs> you better at me next time. Oh, yeah. I was like, yeah. So this is what we working with with exactly. Andrew Gillum. Right. So what did what did Trump tweet? Do you remember exactly what he tweeted? Um, you know, he just, I think what he what he said was um, how the uh, the other uh, candidate was a, a stronger, you know, person. Yeah. And um, how. Ron DeSantis. Yeah, exactly. And that how, um, how. Gillum was, you know, a socialist and we, you know, not to have that. Um, and so, you know, yeah, he, he addressed them pretty good. He addressed them pretty good. But then, you know, the 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 Republican guy turned around and and said some stuff, too. I was listening to um, uh, Jeff Johnson. I listened to Jeff Johnson uh, mm-hmm. on the Ricky Smiley. Uh, oh, no, I ain't supposed to be. Th- well, no, nah, this is your podcast. Um, but I uh, listen to Jeff Johnson. He does these three things you should know. And so mm-hmm. he mentioned um, the response from this guy, um, um, the the Republican candidate. Ron DeSantis. Um, and he mentioned something along the lines of, one, um, we need to continue to do what we've been doing in Florida um, and that uh, we don't need uh, anybody monkeying Monkey up. Monkey this up. Yeah, monkeying this up. Monkey this up. This right. up. Yeah. Who uses that term? Like, yeah, I don't yeah. even, that's like not even a common right. 
thing that you say. Exactly. Like, so you know it's intentional. Oh, um, my God. But one of the things that Monkey I appreciated it about um, Jeff's take on this, Jeff was like, you know, I know a lot of people are going to focus on the, the, the monkeying it up piece. He was like, but we should be more concerned with the fact that he's talking about continuing the same thing that's been going right. on in Florida, which we know Florida been jacked up because oh my God. that's that's where we're, all, we're seeing a whole bunch of issues, right? And so I thought it was cool of, of Jeff to say, you know, I know we want to get riled up on this monkey and up thing, but what we need to be uh, really riled up is the fact that he's trying to keep this the same as what it's been, and we same. know we absolutely need change. So let's let's oh focus on that and like make sure that that does not happen. Yeah. And you want wonder why is the state of Florida so messed up in terms of these elections, especially presidential elections? Mm-hmm. They get bought and sold in Florida. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. It is. It's crazy. But, but what's promising and what's positive is that, you know, Gillum is now, you know, in a really prime yeah. seat right now, yeah. you know. So we really need people to get out and vote. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things, you know, that I learned um, with the campaign is that you got to be you got to have support um, mm-hmm. and it's it's tough. And like you, you can be as popular as you want, mm-hmm. um, but if you don't have the funding and if you don't have the ability to reach out to the masses, which, you know, it costs money to do that, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be really, really hard to win. And so, you know, my push to um, anyone is that if they want to see Gillum win, you know, donate to his campaign, make mm-hmm. sure that they're, you know, sharing um, and, and posting it, even if you don't live in Florida, right? You know, um, if you believe in his platform and you believe that he may be, um, you know, the, the the best candidate for the job, like advocate for that, you know, yeah. join organizations like the, the Collective PAC um, who are pushing for people like this mm-hmm. um, across the country um, because it's tough running a campaign. It's tough to run seems um, like for a campaign. And it's really, really hard when you don't have the finances mm-hmm. um, or the uh, the support behind you um, mm-hmm. to, to, to win. What would you say the financial piece is helping the candidate with just getting to where they need to be, yeah. to reaching the people they need to reach? Exactly. It's just so much that goes into it, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you, you need money for campaign signs, you need money for (laughs) events, you need money for social media boost and posts, you need money for advertisement, you need money for signs, Um, you need money to get to the places where you need to be, Mm -hmm. and then you also need money to pay people on your your staff. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a lot of people think that, you know, it's all about volunteer. volunteer. You know, a a lot of people do volunteer, um, but there are also, you know, folks that need to get paid because it's a, it's, it can be, especially if it's for the governor, mm-hmm. that's a full-time gig. That's a, that's a big you know, gig this, right You know, now. you want to have somebody that can commit full-time um, um, to that, not someone who's, like, trying to get to it after they get off work at 6 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, campaigns need that money in order to gain that exposure, in order to reach as many people as possible because, you know, you can knock on you know, 500,000 doors, you know, I don't, well, I don't think that's realistic. You can't physically do it, but if you can pay people and you can Mm -hmm. afford to, you know, have volunteers come and feed them and stuff like that, then that's how you reach the masses. It's a process. Yeah, yeah, but it costs money. It costs. So I just, you know, I want to, again, reiterate that, like, if (laughs) if you're supporting somebody, um, somebody's campaign or you believe in them, please contribute, donate to their campaign because um, that makes that makes it a lot easier for them to get more people um, on their team who can be on the grounds, who can make phone calls, mm-hmm. um, and who can educate the voters on why um, that candidate is the best candidate. Wow. You know what? I got one more thing for you before you go. 
And that's about your boy, Kanye West. <laughs> I know you'll be a Kanye fan, so am, am I. I Did you see his apology? Yeah, yeah. He was at a Chicago radio station, WGCI, with Kendra G. Mm-hmm. And she was letting him know how she felt about, yeah. you know, his remarks she about African-Americans. Too. She did. Yeah. And Kanye actually apologized. Yeah. Like... I was like, why now? Yeah. Is it because she put him on a spot? Uh, what was it? Do so, you think it was sincere? I mean, what? I always, you know, I, I, I try to, <laughs> I'm a positive person. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe in, you know, looking, you know, seeing, seeing the best in people. Redemption? Um, okay. But I couldn't help but notice that Kanye didn't necessarily apologize about what he said. He apologized about how it made people feel. feel. Um, and him letting people down, like, and so it, what it made me realize is that you know, one of Kanye's, you know, because he refused, he also still did not necessarily like denounce uh, Trump or anything like that. Um, no, he did not denounce Trump. And I think you know, and, and and you see this a lot with people like Kanye. You, we know people like Kanye who are loyal sometimes to a fault. Mm-hmm. And so you know, in Kanye's case, it's like this is like my my guy. I'm cool with him. Like I'm not gonna just simply throw him to the side just because mm-hmm. everybody else hates him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Kanye, like he mentioned about Trump in the interview, he said Trump wants to be liked by black people. That's what that's what Kanye claims. That's what he said. And it's what? obvious really? and evident <laughs> by this um, apology, like that's what Kanye wants too. Mm-hmm. He's apologizing because he didn't realize how how much he hurt his fan base by saying that. And he didn't realize, and he said it in an interview, he did, he was like that people, you know, how much people love me, mm-hmm. uh, right? And so I didn't it's realize like, how much people love me. And so, he, you know, he's apologizing because he wants that love back. Mm-hmm. And he didn't realize that people was going to turn, that like that it was that bad that they would turn their back on him. Um, and so, you know, that's what he apologized by them being so hurt that they felt like they could no longer love him anymore. And so, you know, whether that's, whether that's a sincere <laughs> one or not, you know, you kind of just you got to take it. You know, I think I also think that he didn't have to say it, though. Cause, yeah, because you know, I'm like, why now? Like, where did this come from? He, he didn't have to say it because he Cause don't, it, you know, he, he, don't, he, he don't owe us anything. He living, he he can be in a bubble, you know, for he for can go to Wyoming, exactly. you know. Um, so you know, you 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 know, there's some sincerity, um, there. Um, but you know, I, I wish I wish he could have, you know, said like, nah, that that wasn't right. right. You know what I was saying about slavery and right. you know, um, uh, things like that. But you know. I can appreciate him saying, you know what, I care enough about your feelings to mm-hmm. to make that apology. Um, and I'm pretty sure he probably won't do anything like that again for that reason. Unless he, you know, unless he, you know, as he as he mentioned, his office, you know, he gets <laughs> ran, ran, ramped up and, Look, and he ain't on his meds. Let him come out with another album. We're going <laughs> to see Off the Hinges, Kanye, just like we see Off the Hinges, yeah. Trump. They kind of like really share a lot of the same yes, they are. <laughs> And that's why qualities. That's, that's probably why Kanye love him <laughs> so much. But my thing with Kanye is why now? Um, I think it's a little too late. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. This should have been as far as timing goes. You should have did this a long time ago. But I'm still listening to your music, yeah, Kanye. Yeah. You know, it's my job. Yeah. You know, I, I, I got to do it for the people. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, music is therapeutic for me, so I got to yeah. do it for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you yeah. know what? That last album. I mean, it was very therapeutic mm-hmm. like you said i mean he really talking about what he's been going through i love the production on the album uh what's your favorite track on that last yay album um yikes 
Uh, you got. I know you will leave. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one yeah, too. Yeah. I like that one too. Okay, well, Mr. Devontae Payton, I have thoroughly enjoyed you. I wish you nothing but the best of luck in your new role Thank with you. Thank figuring you. out who's going to be chartering these schools yeah. around here in the M. Yeah. Because I know you're going to be on top of that, I'm right? I'm definitely going to be on top of it. We're going to make sure that um, that only the most uh, qualified uh, uh, schools get through. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to make sure that, um, that they're doing the work in the community um, um, and that they have a, a passion for supporting um, and collaborating and working with um, the students and the parents in those communities. Yes, yes. Good luck. And I know next time I see you downtown, you're going to recommend a great craft beer for yeah. my esophagus. <laughs> and um, how can people get in touch with you? Um, you can reach me on uh, social media. So my uh, my Instagram is uh, DP underscore 901. Uh, my uh, Twitter is Capo underscore DP. So C-A-P-O underscore DP. Um, I'm on Facebook, Devontae Payton. Um, you can, you know, if you're if you're trying to do something with the um, with the morning huddle, um, visit our page, Men's Morning Huddle, um, on uh, Facebook. Also, I'm about page. to. Oh, I didn't even mention this. I was. I'm. I'm. I'm, th- I'm thinking about doing me a little blog. You did mention yeah, it. Yeah. Yes. No, yes. not just the beer. Oh, blog. not just the beer. So okay. The beer will be a part of the blog. Okay. And so people will be able to start reaching me on my blog where I'm just kind of, you know, talking about, you know, different things that are going on. Cause okay. I, I want people to see even more of Devontae. You know, yes. I think, I feel like people see a lot of me already. Yeah. They see my family. Um, they, they see me, you know, doing the craft, uh, doing the food and, mm-hmm. and the beer and stuff. They see me, um, um, doing the community engagement stuff, mm-hmm. um, but I want to go a little bit more in depth in it, yeah. um, and I want to you know provide some more insight around like things that I think about that um, that push me, that motivate me, um, and hopefully that can be you know translated you know to someone else, and it can be a, a support for somebody else. Awesome! Well, I'll definitely support you, and I would love to be a guest <laughs> on your on your vlog about you. <laughs> and um, one piece of advice: um, once you start it. Be consistent. Yeah. Just be con- just already know you're gonna put it out every whatever. Yeah. Just I listen. I listen to the uh to the podcast uh on blogging with your girl Kim. Yes. And so I she has some she has some her. really good uh mm-hmm. feedback, and I was like taking notes. I'm like, yeah. Yep, you, she on top. I was of like, it. you right, you right. <laughs> she on top of it, and that's one of the the beauty the beauties of this podcast is like um you know in mine is interview style. You learn so much from people. Yeah. Like just today, I learned a lot from you. Yeah. It's just really like it fills my heart up with joy. Seriously, yeah. honestly, truly, like just to just feed off of people. Yeah, and you know, I just love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Devontae Payton, my guest for episode thirty-three of Verbally Effective. Thank you, Devontae. Thank you.